Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of SEPAD Pod, the sectarianism, proxies, and desectarianization project based at Lancaster University and funded by Carnegie Corporation. Today, I'm, I'm really excited to be joined by someone whose work I, I've been reading for a, a long time, does similar work to, to me, written a great deal about Iran and, and Middle East and international relations more broadly, but also he's the deputy director of the SEPAD podcast, uh, the SEPAD project, I should say, on the SEPAD podcast as well. So, Dr. Edward Wasnidge, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm in some esteemed company here, so it's, uh, it's an honour to be here. <laughs> it's, it's really exciting to have you on, Eddie. Really excited to, to talk through your your body of work and and to see uh, yeah to see what's going on. So, can you tell us a little bit about what got you interested in Iran and, and Middle East politics broadly, please? Wow. Well, as you hear every time you ask this question, <laughs> it's it's an enormous one. It is. <laughs> So prepare yourself because there's, I mean, there's so many, there's so many different aspects. But I suppose there's, there's two kind of main things when I think about it. And, and first is kind of just kind of watershed moments through my childhood and adolescent years, and when I got into higher education, um, that you know kind of got me interested in the region. But then there's kind of more fundamental sort of um, kind of personal stuff as well. Right. And so, so to start with the kind of the, the, the sort of watershed moment type thing I was saying about, well, you know, being aware of things like, you know, even going back to when I was sort of eight or nine years old, you know, seeing the Iran-Iraq war on the television, the first yeah. Gulf in the early 90s, um, and kind of becoming increasingly aware of sort of regional dynamics throughout my teens when I was kind of interested in the politics, started to develop my interest in the politics of the region. Um, that kind of was, was where it started in, in one aspect. But then obviously, you know, big events like 9-11 happened. And and that started to kind of, that, that happened when I was doing my undergraduate degree. I was doing a human geography degree. Yeah. Um, and, and I was sort of really interested in, furthering my understanding of what was going on um, in the region and also kind of looking to sort of challenge a lot of the stereotypes that then were coming out around the time and the sort of Islamophobic discourse that was, you know, starting to appear in some of the British press and, you know, amongst, you know, um, you know the populace at large. And I had, you know, many Muslim friends at the time who I'd be talking with and that stoked a lot of debate and interest. At that point, I was just a general reader, really. I mean, I had no greater analysis or deeper understanding, so I wanted to kind of further my interest, and that's when I kind of went into the sort of postgraduate studies. Um, I always had an interest in Iran as well during that sort of time, and that was home for the postgraduate years, but I knew that also I wanted to kind of teach as well, and, right. and uh, it sounds a bit kind of idealistic, but I help, wanted to help try and further understanding to sort of dispel some of the myths about the Middle East and everything. So that kind of motivated me. Sure. So what was it about Iran, though? I mean, you, you mentioned the the sort of the regional events and uh, just a general interest in, in in the region more broadly, but what was it in particular about Iran? Well, um, I mean, yeah, the, my interest had been stoked just when I was a teenager. I was aware of the reform movement starting in, in the sort of, well, coming to the fore when, when Khatami was elected in 1997. Um, and so I was aware that Iran was slightly different from the rest of the region. I hadn't really expanded on that knowledge yet in my, you know, mid-teens or whatever, because I was busy doing other other things. But <laughs> sure. as I got kind of, you know, deeper into the literature and understanding the region, I, you know, I started to 
see that it was. I don't, I don't want to necessarily say you know have sort of an exceptionalist um, take on this, but that it was different from from the rest on account of its its historical experience, its, yeah. its and, and and its political experience as well. The other thing that drove it, I think, as well was was was. And this kind of relates to some of the, the, the deeper things I, I was, was going to talk about as to why I'm interested. Was its kind of geographical location, and that's a bit of the old geographer in me as well, right? Because yeah. you know, it always occupied an interesting place for me. And and I and I originally kind of came to Iran really via Central Asia. I did my undergraduate dissertation on, on, on post-Soviet Central Asia, and then through that, I kind of developed my interest in Iran as well. And so. I had this kind of geographical, you know, this sort of spatial element going on, you know, looking at it uh, in, in relation to the fact that it was joined to several regional kind of subsystems, to Central Asia, to Southern Asia, Asia to the Middle East. And so at once it was peripheral to some and also central to others. So that was just fascinating for me as well from a sort of geopolitical standpoint as well, plus all the incredibly yeah. existing <clears throat> politics and everything. So, so that's so, yeah, really interesting no, then the, the the geographical influence that that um, your undergraduate had on on your on your more later work I guess and I guess that's that's obvious but but not always the case as a number of our guests have said that that their undergraduate studies didn't necessarily shape their their later work but looking at, at your work and hearing you speak now it's clear that geography plays quite a big role in in what you're trying to do yeah, it does, you know, and, and it's interesting you say that because, yeah, I don't, it's only when you sort of reflect like this and, you, you know, you ask a question like that, you start to think, yeah, what what are the things that drive it? And, yeah, of course, you know, I don't really consider myself a geographer anymore, but I think some of that is really foundational. And, and the other thing that's really kind of fundamental as well with, uh, was, was, you know, I my granddad used to sit me down with an atlas, you know, when I was five, six years old. Right. And I adored atlas, and I still do as a result, and he'd show me, you know, Europe, post-World War II Europe and explain the Berlin Wall to me, explain the Cold War and everything like that. And that was, you know, the sort of deeper interest in the world and international affairs that was forged at that point. And, you know, my, my grandparents were, were post-war refugees from Poland, you know, who, who settled in the UK in, in 1946. And they, they had spent time in the Middle East and travelled through the Middle East. So kind of I think that gave me a desire to understand the complexities of international affairs, right? You know, why and how important events shape things, and, and ultimately, ultimately, I think the narratives really about who we are and, and what who nations are as well. So that kind of feeds into it as well. So it's it's, it's massive, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. To it's fascinating hearing you uh, hearing you say all of this. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's so much behind the work that we do mm-hmm. that's that's personal. That's that's sort of political as well as intellectual. So it's it's interesting hearing you reflect on on all of these things that sort of we don't necessarily know about with your work, and it's the same with others as well, I guess. The, the sort of the hidden side of the intellectual uh, exploration that we're we're on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great, isn't it? It's just, it's really. I mean, it's just yeah. It's great to just think about it, yeah, and, and think about where we come from. It's. Uh, it's good, so thank you. It's a pleasure. And I guess if, if we look through your, your early sort of publications, I guess, you can see that there's this, or to me at least, and I'm, perhaps I'm projecting some of what you've said back onto you, but there's this sense of trying to figure out Iran's place in the region, Iran's place in, in the, the Muslim world, Iran's place in the Middle East, Iran's place in international politics vis-a-vis the, the US and 
and other states. Is that is that something that that you you tried to do intentionally, or was it a case that you were sort of exploring the the intellectual side of things, and it just so happened that that type of geographical exploration came out? Ah, yeah, that that's a really interesting point. I think um, for me, you know, because of that, you know, I guess because of that background and the things that I was just drawn to, um, it it sort of led me to really explore issues of identity and, and kind of how identity discourses and narratives affect foreign policy. Sure. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I find that really, you know, really interesting to do and I still do now. And and that, that's kind of where I started. It was, you know, the, this kind of the genesis of these ideas um, are really important for me. So, you know, I wanted to see how certain ideas, certain narratives, concepts even, you know, how they're applied know what does it mean how they're used how they received you know are these kind of ideas that are put there by politicians intellectuals sometimes a combination of both how are they kind of articulated and therefore received and you know in, in wider society and, and in the world more more broadly so um yeah it, it's kind of that's where that's sort of where where it comes from i guess it stems from sort of a mix of that you know identity yeah. and sort of geographical understanding as well i suppose yeah that's fascinating. Um, at what point then did you go out to Tehran then? Because you studied Persian in, in Iran. So at what point was that? Okay, so I I uh, started learning Persian during my um, master's. Um, and and I was really grateful for that, actually. Um, I ended up going um, to Tehran um, for the first time in September 2006, which seems like an age away now. Yeah. But, uh, right in, you know, in, in the sort of early... Years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was it was a fascinating time. But I mean, I was so grateful that my my one of my PhD co-supervisors, Professor Edmund Hoetzig, who's who's now at Oxford, um, he really encouraged me to to you know right at the start of my MA to say, look, you know, if you want to make a difference and if you want to understand the region and if you want to have anything you know worthwhile saying, it's not to say you have to have language skill, but I mean, he was saying you know it's really worth doing this if you can. And so I, you know, in my kind of, well, I was like 24, I think, when I started learning. So I read it really late for learning a language. But it was it was really, um, really great. And actually, I spent, you know, the first, you know, six months of my time in Tehran going to language school. And Amazing. it was it was wonderful. And it was a real luxury, I mean, a real privilege to have that time to commit to language learning. And, you know, and, and I then, you know, tried to... Um, Utilize that in, in my doctoral research by bringing Persian language sources in. Sure, that's what I'm trying to do today, even though my Persian is, is becoming increasingly weak <laughs> lack of practice. But sure. yeah, it was really important for me to spend time in Iran, um, and I think that's you know important. So looking do, back yeah. on that time, then Eddie, what what memories do you have, and and how has that sort of period been? Sort of, how do you view it with what you have now, the tools that you have now? Um, great question. Um, I mean, I look back on it very fondly. I sure. Had, yeah. You know, I had a great time sort of, yeah. uh, you know, just as, as you know, someone in their mid-20s in an incredibly interesting, beautiful, welcoming, warm country. Um, I mean, the whole political dynamic at the time was very interesting because, as I said, it was the beginning of the Ahmadinejad presidency, a time when um, UK-Iran relations actually got pretty bad. Yeah, exactly. I, I, was, I was absolutely fine out there as a, you know, as a UK citizen because I was, you know, welcomed and, and, and very well looked after. Um, 
by by everyone I met there. Um, so the politics didn't um, interfere in my my day to day life at all. Um, apart from the you know occasional conversation in you know <laughs> in, yeah. in my kebab shop, you know asking you know why is uh, Blair or Gordon Brown saying this or whatever, and it was you know it was interesting to have these you know kind of debates with people there, um, just everyday people on the streets, you know. But um, it was a good opportunity to you know do some actual research out there as well. And I was really lucky; I got to go to the. Um, you know some some research centers out there as well and and collect lots of you know great iranian sources as well and, and get a handle on you know some of the debates within the run as well that's going on in the academic literature out there um you know which i've really sort of tried yeah. to through my, my you know current work as well so we had chris phillips on a few episodes ago and he he talked about how his trip to um to syria was interrupted with a traffic jam caused by Bashar al-Assad. Were you affected by by traffic jams caused by Ahmadinejad or Khamenei or any other political <laughs> well, elites? No. I, I, but I was, I mean, I, I went to kind of uh, big, you know, mass rallies, which were brilliant. Um, so I remember going to the, the celebration of the revolution uh, right. day in, in, in February 2007. And, you know, walking along the streets with, you know, probably a million or so other people and um, being, you know, hearing the, you know, Marba America, Marba Israel, Ingles, you know, so down with Israel, down with America, down with England. And then these guys I was with who were, you know, um, really lovely chaps. They just kind of took me a friend under their wing. Um, but they, they sort of turned around and said, I'm sorry, this isn't this isn't against you. This <laughs> is your government, you know. And, you know yeah, yeah. That's fine, but... That, you know, that was interesting to see that uh, side of things, uh, the pro regime side. But also, you know, I made some, you know, very interesting, cool, creative friends out there as well, you know, and, and I played my band out there, you know, and stuff. And that was oh, like, amazing. <laughs> yeah, and that was a really good thing because if you, like we were talking earlier about these kind of personal experiences and how they influence your your work, um, well, that, that was a big thing for me because whilst my research was kind of looking at, issues of national identity and, and that kind of thing, you know, I started to think, well, you know, these other elements, uh, artistic, cultural exchange, stuff like that, are, like, really important as well when I was doing my own little bit of that. But I think that, that you know, influenced my thinking too. You know, I was playing in a fusion, progressive fusion metal band out there. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, Iranian instrumentation and, and and Western instrumentation. And it was brilliant. We did a we did a concert at Tehran University, you know, in front of 800 people. Wow. Uh, but there was, I mean, just as an aside, it's, 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 uh, this is of interest, but, you know, just to sort of say how, how we manage that. Originally, I was going to play my drum set, a drum set rather, yeah. Um, yeah. and that that wasn't allowed because it was deemed, you know, a little bit too kind of like a Western metal band. Then we asked if I could play some Latin percussion, some congas or bongos or whatever. No, but then we, we, we settled on, you know, me being able to play some Middle Eastern percussion, so I played Darabupa, you know, a Turkish drum. Oh, so <laughs> that, was, that was a kind of way around it, but that was just, you know, fascinating for me to sort of have that kind of insight into the creative world as well yeah. and then yeah. you know creative cultural production stuff is something that influences my, my later work you know which I'm sort of doing at the moment so um, yeah it was, that was a, a, a brilliant experience actually and, and one that's not necessarily directly relevant to the research I did but I think was quite formative as well it's it's really interesting there are so many narratives that I can pick out of, of your research and there are so many trajectories that that are there and you can see sort of clear lines I mean your stuff on or cultural exchange for example 
seems to have its roots in, in that trip, perhaps. Um, you have the stuff that you've been doing in, in Lebanon, looking at cultural exchange, perhaps can be traced back to this trip. I think I think it does. And again, I'd not really thought of it in that way. But just as we were talking in the beginning, you know, you reflect on these things and suddenly you think, yeah, of course, that, that I mean, that makes sense. You know, that that's going to influence me. And I think I think it does. I mean, the, the research I was doing at the time, you know, I mean, it's a long time it was all about um you know Khatami's uh, use of dialogue among civilizations in, in Iranian foreign policy and I was looking at its application but a big part of that was the whole cultural exchange side of things and it was more on the level of kind of academic and religious um yeah. exchange but you know another part of that and a part of his whole idea was about having non-political people doing this kind of stuff to then help wider political process, you know, and enabling civil society and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think, I think they are linked, definitely. So your, your doctoral work, that later became your book, I take it, with, uh, with Ibu Taurus. Yes, that's right. That's what, yeah, that's what they became, yeah. So um, I'm just trying to pull up the title of that now. I had it written down. Diplomacy and Reform in Iran, Foreign Policy under Khatami, with yes. Ibitoris, published in 2016, which is yeah. excellent and a really, really worthwhile read for anyone who's not done it. I, I again, strongly urge you to have a look at it. But, Thanks. Eddie, for, for someone who's not read it, what would, um, what would you say the main thrust of the arguments were? Um, so... I mean, it's really looking at Khatami had a, a an idea called dialogue among civilizations, which was based really in the academic world in a sense, because he, prior to becoming um, uh, the, the the president of Iran in 1997, he had spent time as head of the National Library. Um, he had previously held political positions before that, but he was um, someone who had a kind of background, an academic background in Western philosophy, um, as, as well as Islamic philosophy, and he sought to kind of reconcile a lot of Islamic thinking with modernism. So he was a very well-read scholarly kind of politician, yeah. and yeah. he was also uh, a key reformist figure and, and kind of came out of the debates that were going on in Iranian politics around uh, modernization in, in the kind of early to mid-90s. So he represented, you know, kind of the, the political realization of, of that movement and um, and he brought this idea into Iran's international diplomacy and so what I wanted to do in the book is really show how you know these kind of ideas which have their foundation in the academic world have an application in a kind of foreign policy quite um, you know instrumental usage you know in, in a foreign policy milieu as well and really debating whether is this just some utopian ideal for world peace or is this something that has a real practical application Sure. I, I, come, I come somewhere in the middle, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's rooted in kind of, uh, I guess, in IR terms, if you want to go down that route, it's kind of broadly constructivist. And, and you know, it uses the kind of soft power, idea of soft power as a, as a kind of vehicle for that. I don't go into too much theoretical in, in that, but um, uh, my later work is kind of built on that a bit more. Um, yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell, I think. I look at how it's applied on different levels as well. So in, in kind of bilateral relations with states that were seen as other inheritors of great civilization. So yeah. Egypt, um, for example, or with Italy and Greece. Um, 
uh, and then at a kind of more multilateral level as well with with international organisations. But just on this on this point, reflecting on on Khatami and his impact, what impact do you think he had on on Iran's relationship with with its great rival Saudi Arabia? Because we know at that time there was a slight thawing in in relations. Absolutely. I think it was um, a much more positive time. And I think some perhaps some lessons can be learned from that. I mean, obviously, we're dealing with a, a different international environment 20 years or, or on. Um, but, you know, there's pre-Arab uprisings and, and um, yeah, and I think... It's, it's, it's a much, it was a much more optimistic time. Yeah. Um, and and what, what it shows us is that perhaps, you know, there, there is some hope for the future, though, because um, this was, you know, someone who had dialogue and mutual understanding and respect. And, and that actually had a bit of a payoff in terms of Iran's relations with the Arab world. You know, they, Tehran hosted the Organization of Islamic Conference um, get-together in 1997, and that was like a quite a watershed moment yeah. in terms of the kind of rehabilitation on, on, on certainly on the regional stage anyway, but it also had, you know, positive knock on effects for Iran's relations with the rest of the world as well. I don't want to overstate, you know, how important um, that was necessarily because by his second presidency, he was, he was lamed up president because he was constrained by a more hard line element. But I think um, it, it shows us that there is potential for some, some hope, I think, uh, in yeah. the future, maybe if we have, you know, less, um, Less belligerent, you know, uh, sure, people yeah. in each country. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you point out the the domestic and the external forces that are constraining not only uh, an individual's power but also state power as well. That that period of, of burgeoning rapprochement, if you will, is a product of of the domestic climate and domestic politics in both Iran and Saudi, but also the international climate as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, you had different um, people in power in the States, then much different kind of um, outlook as well. Um, And, 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 you know, you see, look, you look at some of the stuff from the time and it's, you know, the the kind of receptivity of people like Madeleine Albright and uh, and people in Clinton's foreign policy team was, you know, quite, it was, it was, it was encouraging and it was optimistic. Then, you know, September 11th happened War on Terror happened, Bush happened, you know, and any kind of goodwill was 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 fast eroded. So it goes, it shows that kind of external dynamic how that affects things as well. Certainly, and that that echoes a number of the remarks made by uh, Banafshe Kenush in one of the one of the earlier Sepad pods, where she talked about the importance of of geopolitics in limiting and sort of creating the possibilities for for different types of of geopolitics and foreign policies. But, Eddie, I'm conscious that we're, we're drawing towards the end of our time and I don't want to take too much of your time up, but I want to talk just a little bit, if I may, about Iranian soft power. And this is where we first uh, actually met, not in Manchester or Lancaster, but in, in Washington, talking at a, a Brookings event organised by Shadi Hamid and, uh, and Peter Mandeville about religious soft power. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could say a little bit about Iranian soft power, please, because I think that's that's often overlooked the the extent to which Iran has this this religious soft power, if you will, this this cultural power, cultural influence, and I think it's incredibly important. So could you say us tell us a little bit about what that is and and how it operates, please? Sure. Well, I mean, it's it's 
you know, this hugely multifaceted thing. And um, I mean, my interest in this came from originally, you know, the, the kind of Khatami based stuff. And that really, uh, in my book, I, I talk about these kind of two, and then this is a bit of a, a, a kind of heuristic device that could be a false dichotomy to say there is an Islamic element and an Iranian element of Iranian identity, which is articulated through its soft power. But it does help us kind of understand that, that duality that's there as well. Um, so, on one level, you have, um, you know, kind of, it, it would also actually does tell us something interesting as well before I go into this, is about the duality that's also in the Iranian political system. Because um, you have the, the elected president who, who will have their own ideas and, and ways to articulate perhaps elements of soft power, and you have the, the supreme leader. Now, what you see in terms of soft power is that um, there, there are different elements to it. So, on the one hand, say from the kind of supreme leader's side of things, um, you have an emphasis on Iran as a, as, as a great Islamic power. Um, and this draws on its position as a key center of Shia learning. Um, yeah. And that's a major identity feature in its foreign policy. Um, and that draws on kind of quite, you know, kind of foundational, you know, you could look at it and say, I'm being quite essentialist here, but these kind of notions of combating injustice, which are core to Shiism, um, and that you know acts as a kind of continual thread in its foreign policy and in its lots of its diplomacy since the revolution. But then you have you know people like Khatami, for example, um, when he was in power. You know this idea of dialogue among civilizations. This also drew on Iran's pre-Islamic heritage, on Iran's you know great civilization as well prior to Islam. And now he he saw no difference between you know the two. He he, he used the term you know we have an Iranian Islamic identity. Yeah, um, uh, and so that kind of combines both elements. So that finds different articulations. Now you have different organs and different, um, I suppose, foundations that that you know act as kind of conduits for for this soft power, uh, and that's channeled through a lot of Iran's cultural diplomacy. So you see this through um, places like the Islamic Cultural Relations Organization, which is Iran's cultural diplomacy arm. The emphasis there is is, is primarily on kind of religious outreach. Um, uh, amongst you know fellow Shia communities, um, but then you have kind of other emphasis on on Persian language and literature as well, more broadly. Um, then you have you know Iran's whole kind of international media operations in several different languages. That's another sort of aspect of it. And, and, and a final thing is, is is this notion of soft war, which was a bit of a narrative um, uh, a few years ago. Um, and it's kind of a response to, to the color revolutions that were sweeping post-Soviet political space in, in the sense that, you know, Iran was having, you know, having to fight against the kind of um, velvet revolutions or color revolutions that were, that were going on in the region. And, and so there's a notion that, you know, Iran is involved in a soft war of, of kind of like psyops and, and cyber warfare and stuff like that against, against you know, um, various actors as well. So... It's, it's multifaceted and it draws on lots of different identity strains and it's just one little aspect of it. And, and then other research of mine looks in, you know, more kind of direct applications of it in Lebanon, for example, or, or in Iraq. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And that's, it's absolutely fascinating because I think what you're doing, Eddie, is challenging this this rather reductive argument that says that because X is Shia, they are doing the bidding of Iran or 
um, because Iran is Shia, it will automatically have a relationship with a, a Shia group in whatever state. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're suggesting that it's actually far more complex and there are far more nuanced types of relationships at play that, that transcend Shia, um, Shia faith, shared faith, and Shia politics, if you will. Yeah, absolutely, and and so I, I mean, a lot of what I do is is, is wanting to kind of debunk myths and and and, yeah. and centered orthodoxies about countries, um, and and so I think it is it's important to tell you know the the, the more nuanced story. That's I think that's a job, isn't it? Really? Um, yeah, 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 absolutely, and um, yeah, I think looking looking at how these things are used and what the networks are. I think it is, is a really good starting point to, to try and, and solve a lot of the problems as as well. I mean, you know, we're, we're working together on on you know, various things, aren't we, to to kind of move towards perhaps thinking about desectarianisation. We're um, doing our bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it's going to require a great deal of of reflection and. Uh, uh, intellectual curiosity from from a range of different folks, but you've certainly done your bit towards that, Eddie. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you and and hearing the the sort of the backstory to what you've been doing in your research. Thanks very much, Sam. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much, Eddie. Until Cheers. the next time. Bye bye.